BCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the Internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. And friends, thank you for joining us on Crosstalk here on VCY America. We've got a powerful powerful program here today with lots of information to pass along your way. Lord willing, at a quarter past the hour, we're going to be connecting with Alex Newman in Egypt. It's amazing to see all that is unfolding before our very eyes. So, Lord willing, at a quarter past the hour, we'll be connecting with Alex Newman. He's in Egypt covering the COP27 United Nations Climate Change Conference. Meanwhile, as this is going on in Egypt, in Indonesia, the G20 has kicked off, and the official business group that leads engagement with G20 is B20. Klaus Schwab, the chairman of the World Economic Forum, opened that summit on Monday. We'll be airing a clip from him today. But first, friends, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act being voted on this afternoon. Being voted on this afternoon. It is, uh, uh, as we mentioned uh, just the other day with Robert Knight, oxymoronic because it does not respect marriage at all. This is H.R. 8404. And during the the time that we are on the air for Crosstalk today, your senators are to be convening on this very matter. Matter of fact, the calendar of business I have before me from the United States Senate, they started to convene at 1.45 p.m. Eastern, but here is the order for the afternoon. It is ordered that on Wednesday, November 16th, 2022, upon the conclusion of morning business, the Senate resume consideration of the motion to proceed to H.R. 8404, an act to repeal the Defense of Marriage Act and to ensure what they call respect for state regulation of marriage and for other purposes, provided that the Senate vote on the motion to invoke closure at 3.15 p.m. That's 3.15 p.m. Eastern Time, which is just a dozen minutes from now. Friends, uh, we know that sometimes these votes take a while uh, to unfold in the Senate. Uh, Can we encourage you, if you have not reached out to your two U.S. senators, to do it right this very moment? The phone number to the switchboard, and it would be better if you can go to Senate.gov, click on Senators, and you'll be able to obtain uh, the information, direct numbers to your senator's offices where they have staff people that are there. Uh, the number to the Senate switchboard is 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. They are scheduled uh, to vote uh, here a quarter past the hour and uh, certainly monitoring what is going on at the United States Senate at this time. But, uh, friends, it's imperative that your senators hear from you. As a matter of fact, at a quarter past uh, the hour, they're set to uh, vote. And uh, we would encourage you, if you can, go to Senate.gov, find your two U.S. senators' offices. You'll find direct dial numbers to get to their offices for your message to get through. As we look at a release that came from Matt Staver uh, on this Respect for Marriage Act, that's what they're calling it. But, folks, you know, they name bills different from what they really are, you know, like Affordable Care Act, uh, such as the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, we see the impact of that in our pocketbook right now, don't we? Well, the Senate is going to be voting on this same-sex marriage bill that would that would codify the Obergefell decision. It would codify same-sex marriage, and as they have warned from groups like Eagle Forum and Liberty Council, they have warned that this also is going to be expanded to include if a state allows for a polygamy to take place. Other states will have to recognize this. Oh, no, that's not going to happen, says Tammy Baldwin. We're putting forth an amendment that would uh, keep this from taking place. Well, Matt Staver indicates uh, from Liberty Council, members of the U.S. Senate have a proposed amendment to H.R. 8404, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act that fails to provide protections for people or organizations with sincerely held religious beliefs about biblical marriage. The proposed amendment does nothing to protect religious liberty because the Religious Freedom Restoration Act already applies to the federal government. Therefore, the state action will not be affected. 
state action would not be affected. Nothing in H.R. 8404 or the proposed amendment will provide any protection for religious individuals or organization, and the subsequent amendments to the bill excludes a large percentage of constitutionally and statutorily protected religious organizations. In addition, Congress does not possess the constitutional authority to define marriage and to enact such legislation under Article 1. In striking down the Defense of Marriage Act, that's DOMA, the reverse of the ill-named Respect for Marriage Act, the U.S. Supreme Court stated in United States versus Windsor, that by history and tradition, the definition and regulation of marriage has been treated as being within the authority and realm of the separate states. Matt Staver from Liberty Council, constitutional attorney, three landmark wins before the U.S. Supreme Court indicates that this phony amendment that has uh, been been drafted and has been put together uh, is not going to do anything to preserve religious liberty. Again, Friends, they are scheduled to be voting on this very, very shortly. And you can reach out to your senators at 202-224-3121. Likely, you're going to find the Senate switchboard very busy. Uh, If so, you will need to uh, go to Senate.gov, look under your senators, click on the word senators, and you can find the senators for your state with direct dial numbers uh, there. Uh, to an urgent release that came forth from Liberty Council today. They said the Senate is voting today on H.R. 8404. And listen to this, folks. This is from Liberty Council. We have been informed that up to 11 Republicans could join with 50 Democrats to pass this uh, they're calling it the Disrespect for Marriage Act. Even if you have sent faxes or made calls, please do so again. He says this is the highest priority. He goes on to say that H.R. 8404 seeks to abolish gender even as it seeks to force all states to accept and obey same-sex marriage, pedophilic child bride laws, and more. Uh, deliberately misnamed the Respect for Marriage Act, the bill seeks to destroy marriage and gender among with it. And uh, more girls... Uh, are going to be deceived into mutilating their bodies, he says. The bill will also effectively ban Christian counseling for people wrestling with gender confusion, body dysphoria, and unwanted same-sex desires. You see the ramifications uh, when when you put the camel's nose into the tent, folks. There is so much more that will unfold. As Liberty Council pointed out just two days ago, it is a, a very critical vote because it will enable polygamy. Today, probably not. Tomorrow, probably not. But, folks, the door is open for that to take place. So let me mention that one more time, and that is uh, Senate.gov. Uh, or you may call your two U.S. senators through the Senate switchboard, 202-224-3121. Ask for your senator's office by name. Uh, and uh, if not, tell them what state, they'll connect you, and uh, you can reach out otherwise at Senate.gov. Look under Senators and find that number there. And folks, be praying. Be praying. I mean, it, it, it is hor- horrifying to understand that there may be 11 Republican senators that will, will uh, jump ship from traditional family values, from the definition of marriage as it has stood for millennia until all of a sudden the Supreme Court decided to change it and the latest dictionaries have decided to change it and, uh, and to uh, make marriage something other than what it is not. Marriage between a man and a woman. And uh, we see that since the beginning of mankind. Well, friends, that issue going on here in the U.S., but there are other issues going on. Uh, We'll be connecting with Alex in Egypt here in just a short time. But while this is going on, there is also a conference going on in Indonesia. And uh, this is the G20 that is meeting. They have kicked off their official business group that leads engagement with G20 is called B20. Klaus Schwab, you've heard him before here on Crosstalk, some clips from him. Here is the chairman of the World Economic Forum, and it opened this past Monday. And friends, when we hear from Alex and what's converging in Egypt right now, and also what's been unfolding in Indonesia right now, this 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 call that's coming from different sectors around the world, pushing for a a one world government and a, 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 to a, to change governments as we know it all over the world. Let's listen to a clip here from Klaus Schwab as he calls for a global restructuring at this annual international summit. Let's uh, listen right now to how he opened the session. Uh, Monday of this week. Excellencies, 
distinguished participants of this very important meeting. First, of course, if you look at all the challenges, we can speak about a multi-crisis, an economic, a political, a social, an ecological, an institutional crisis. But actually, what we have to confront is a deep, systemic, and structural restructuring of our world. And this will take some time. And the world will look differently after we have gone through this transition process. Politically, the driving forces for this political transformation is the transition into a multipolar world which has a tendency to make our world much more fragmented. Klaus Schwab speaking as he opened uh, the conference, and uh, this uh, he said, if you look at the challenges, we can speak about a multi-crisis, an economic, political, social, ecological, and institutional crisis. But actually, what we have to confront is a deep, systemic, and structural restructuring of our world. And this will take some time, and the world will look differently after we have gone through this transition process. That's Klaus Schwab saying that information. I'm looking at an article from LifeSiteNews.com and echoing themes from other speeches that he has given about the so-called Fourth Industrial Revolution. Schwab told business leaders that they have arrived at the inflection point and that there needs to be a particular focus on technology, energy, the reshaping of supply chains, and holding accountable those who pollute the environment. And this is where it ties into where uh, Alex is at the climate change conference in Egypt. He said, if you restructure a company, you write off the costs, and of course, the shareholders are suffering, Schwab said during the keynote address, harnessing the power of innovation for future economic growth. If you restructure an economy, the result is a reduction of income, of disposable income, which can lead to extensive social tensions, which we see in our world. He asserted that there exists a great need for private enterprise and public governments to work more closely together and that the world needs to move toward a multipolar political landscape that ensures businesses adhere to stakeholder capitalism. That's a term utilized. Uh, Governments and businesses have to cooperate in order to become a fast fish because in our world today, it's not anyone anymore so much the big fish who eats the small fish. It's the fast fish who eats the slow fish. And in order to be a fast fish, you have to have two co-pilots, business and governments, he said. He also touched on transhumanist themes as well, heralding the Internet and the metaverse as positive advances that have altered mankind. Technology will change completely, he said. What we are doing at the present time, and not only what we are doing, it will have an impact even on who we are. Just look at how even the Internet has changed to a certain extent our identities over the last 20 years. Friends, all of this unfolding at this very time. I understand the the importance of uh, of friends to understand that what God has ordained is going to come to pass. We are going to see uh, all of these steps take place, as Jimmy DeYoung would say, that the stage is being set for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Much unfolding right now. And uh, in just a moment, Lord willing, we'll be connecting with Alex uh, with more information here coming from Egypt. You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY America Network. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, popular creation speaker with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, did Noah's Ark have to contain two of every species we find on planet Earth today? Not at all, Chris. In fact, this is a straw man argument used by those who really don't believe in Noah's Ark at all. The Bible says that God created each basic type of animal after its kind, and that Noah was to bring two of each kind of animal on board the ark. Kind would be represented by the basic categories of animals today, such as the dog kind. Within the dog kind, there are several species. That's the wolves and the foxes and the coyotes and the dingoes. They are called species, but they're all infertile. They're all part of the dog kind. 
There was plenty of room on board the ark for two of each of these various kinds of land-dwelling, air-breathing animals. The Bible story holds water, as it were. We read about it when we go back to Genesis. For more on creation, visit our website at www.icr.org. Friends, you're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America. So much unfolding. As I speak right now, the Senate is in session on their docket right now. They're voting on H.R. 8404, and this is uh, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, trying to upend marriage all across the United States. I just played for you a clip from Klaus Schwab as he opened up the B-20. This is uh, coinciding with G-20. B-20, of course, being the business group that leads engagement with G-20, in which he is calling for global restructuring at the annual international summit and uh, said, if you look at the challenges, we can speak about a multi-crisis and economic, political, social, ecological, and institutional crisis. But he said, what we have to confront is a deep systemic and structural restructuring of our world. Catch that, folks, a restructuring of our world. And he talks even about climate change, uh, the, the necessity for doing this. Well, as of right now, there is a climate change conference going on as well. This one in Egypt, uh, it's known as COP27. We're smack dab in the middle of COP27, a United Nations climate change conference. COP standing for Conference of the Parties. And attending this right now is Alex Newman, uh, the uh, award-winning international freelance journalist. He's an author, researcher, educator, and consultant. Alex, thank you for joining us here today from Egypt. It's great to be here. Thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, Alex, uh, unfold for us. Uh, first of all, uh, just a, a word of introduction. Uh, COP27, this stands for uh, the uh, the Conference of the Parties. Who are the parties involved? Uh, so give us just a little bit of background to bring us uh, up to speed to where we are today. Uh, well, thank you again, Jim. And so the parties are basically the governments here. There's uh, almost 200 governments that are participating in this. You've got everything from you know, mass murdering uh, dictatorships. Uh, you've got, uh, it was a really interesting comment I got from a, uh, an individual I was interviewing earlier today. She said you've got uh, basically things that are oil wells with uh, the authority to issue passports, you know, some of these uh, Middle Eastern sheikdoms. Uh, and then, of course, you have the U.S. government. I just ran into John Kerry a moment ago and asked him uh, a few questions. Uh, he was not really in the mood for, for talking, especially tough questions. But uh, you've got yeah, tons of governments here, and then in addition to all the governments, You've got uh, the NGOs, which are mostly taxpayer-funded uh, organizations with different special interest groups. They have these rent-a-mobs that they send around. Uh, you've got what I call the cheerleading section. Uh, they prefer to be called journalists and reporters, but unfortunately there's not very many of them here. And uh, then you have, uh, of course, the, um, the, uh, the staff and the U.N. people that kind of manage this whole process. Okay, so the conference is underway, this climate change conference, and Alice, Alex, uh, according to the, the, the listing of goals, they say, we seek to accelerate global climate action through emissions reduction, scaled-up adaptation efforts, and enhanced flows of appropriate finance. We recognize that just transition remains a priority for developing nations worldwide, a just transition. So what is it that they're trying to promote through this COP27? Well, if you if you listen to their rhetoric, uh, they they've got some very nice terminology that they use. But uh, what it really comes down to is that they're talking about fundamentally transforming every aspect of our lives, our societies, our economies, our power grids, our businesses, our law. Uh, and if you listen carefully, uh, it actually becomes very apparent what they're doing. Uh, so the main subject of the discussions here that they're kind of pretending to negotiate, at least, it, it's always the same thing. It's very much like. Um, you know, wrestling, kind of fake fighting and stuff. But the main topic that they uh, claim to be negotiating right now is how much uh, in climate reparations Americans, Europeans, Canadians, Japanese, etc., are going to have to pay uh, basically the third world kleptocrats who are keeping their people in poverty through uh, the very types of policies that the U.N. is advocating. You know, don't develop your energy sources, that don't uh, create proper power grids, use solar panels and windmills and things like this. Uh, so, that's on the surface what's happening, right? Their argument, they call it loss and damage. Their argument is that um, Western economies, really the United States and, and Western Europe is what they're looking at, um, emitted a whole lot more CO2 into the atmosphere through industrialization, through power generation, through motor vehicles, things like that. 
Uh, and therefore, every tornado, every hurricane, every flood, every wildfire, whatever, you know, whatever natural disaster they think they can blame on climate change uh, then becomes the responsibility of U.S. taxpayers. And so they're, they're talking about massive wealth redistribution, really the, the permanent shackling of our children and our grandchildren to unpayable amounts of debt. And even as they're making all these promises, right, John Kerry's here, like Santa Claus, running around just offering money to everybody, pledging U.S. taxpayer money for this and that. Uh, even while they're doing that, digging us deeper into debt, uh, they're also undermining our own economy. Uh, I mean, you've got the Biden administration here pledging that they're going to slash carbon emissions by, you know, pick a number. I think the new number is 40 percent by, I think, 2030 is what they said. And uh, they've been always very transparent about what that means. Drastically higher electricity costs, which, of course, means more of our factories are going to shut down. More of our jobs are going to be going overseas, primarily to China, which is incidentally lending us the money that we're going to need to pay for these climate reparations. So very significant what's happening here at these things. And I think there's a, a good reason why the media is not reporting it, because if the American people understood, it would be game over. Oh, my, my, it is so alarming to know what is going on. And Alex, the, the, I'm going to have you tie in the religious angle to this because they're really trying to make this, uh, to merge religion into this whole aspect of alarmism over the, the climate as well. And, and uh, I know they had desires to, to, to even unleash some of their information at Mount Sinai and have even come up with, with what they're calling the, uh, the, the, the their Ten Commandments, uh, really a, a revised uh, Ten Commandments. I know they changed the name of it due to public backlash, but it's alarming. So let's tie in this, this uh, how they're trying to twist religion to, to, uh, uh, to accommodate and to promote their climate change uh, crisis here. Yeah, I, I lost you there for just a moment, Jim. Um, could you could you repeat the question? Okay, so I know that they are trying to uh, bring a religious angle into this by by invoking, uh, you know, being by Mount Sinai and having this Ten Commandments for the climate. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, I, I think this really is the most significant thing that has happened here. Uh, we are on the Sinai Peninsula right now. Um, very close to a, a mountain that is considered to be Mount Sinai. Whether it is a real Mount Sinai or not, I don't know. I've seen very good arguments that uh, it's probably in Saudi Arabia. But um, they, they had this very bizarre religious ceremony. The Egyptian government really scaled it back. But uh, you have this interfaith group. I actually spent more than half an hour today interviewing them. We're going to be putting out that video uh, shortly. But you have uh, a rabbi, uh, Jonathan Nerol. He's the, the founder of this operation. They had uh, Metropolitan uh, Seraphim, who's a, a senior leader in the Greek Orthodox Church. You had Muslim leaders. You had uh, Hindus, pagans, um, you know, all kinds of uh, Eastern religions. You had, uh, again, all sorts of different so-called religious leaders. And their original plan was they were all going to walk up Mount Sinai and do a, a public ceremony where they were going to repent for their climate sins. Um, I, I guess they viewed their CO2 emissions as sinful, and so they were going to go up there and uh, beg God, or whatever their conception of God is, or God's plural in the case of many of them, to forgive them for uh, not treating Mother Earth as she uh, apparently should be treated. And uh, the Egyptian government said, sorry guys, you can't all climb up that mountain. You know, they said security concerns. So what they did was they ended up doing different ceremonies some of them walked up that mountain. Uh, others ended up doing it in Jerusalem or in London, and they did different things uh, across the world. But they did unveil. Originally, they were calling it the New Ten Commandments. Um, and that was their terminology, not ours. They said, we're going to unleash a New Ten Commandments. And as part of the ceremony, they actually took uh, two tablets that you would imagine look like the Ten Commandments, painted green, uh, and one of the leaders of this smashed them, kind of like Moses you know, smashed the original tablets when he came back down. Uh, so very, very serious religious undertones here. But the new Ten Commandments have almost no resemblance to the old Ten Commandments. And so I was talking to one of the leaders of this, and you know, I, I can't really reveal my point of view publicly when I'm talking to these people, because of course then they won't talk, and so I just kind of just ask neutral questions and you know, nod my head. But uh, what he said was, um, you know, we originally called it a new Ten Commandments, and that was probably a communications mistake because we got a lot of pushback on that. So, so now we're describing it as an addendum to the Ten Commandments, right? Wow. Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, are you are you God? Do you get to make addendums to the Ten Commandments? Uh, they also said they were working on unveiling the new Third Covenant, and uh, you know, they're not claiming that this is divinely inspired. They're admitting that they're making this stuff up. 
Um, so I think this is, again, like I said, Jim, the most significant angle um, and story out of this conference that has not received much attention from the press. But uh, there is a U.N. agency that's very much involved in this, it's the U.N. Office of Faith Affairs or something like that. And um, they're working in very close coordination with the U.N. I actually spent the, the 35 minutes with them here at the U.N. facility in Sharm el-Sheikh on the Sinai Peninsula. So people can find my article about it, that at thenewamerican.com and get a whole lot more detail. But the U.N. is also pushing a, a secular vision of this. Uh, one of their major reports that they put out right before the conference began uh, was called, um, it was put out by the U.N. Development uh, Program and the U.N. Environment Program, was called um, Uncertain Times, Uncertain World. And they, they made the case that we need a new system of morality and ethics because the old system of morality and ethics is supposedly what got us into this mess. And so very serious what's happening here. You, you mentioned the transition to this new system. Uh, it very much involves even a transition to a new moral and ethical system. And that's huge. It is. And uh, they have uh, four points, mitigation, adaptation, finance, and collaboration. And I find it very interesting how they're trying to mitigate what they call global warming uh, to well below uh, 2C and work hard to keep the 1.5C target alive. And so they're talking about the reductions that have to take place. Uh, Extreme weather events from heat waves, floods, and fires have become an everyday reality of our lives. So adaptation they're talking about. Well, what's so bizarre in all of this, they're talking about how we all need to sacrifice. They're at a luxurious resort there, Alex. Yeah, they are, and they always are, right? That's that's one of the things that's so interesting, Jim, is they always have these climate summits at these beautiful, exotic resort destinations. You know, you've got uh, Paris, and you've got uh, Rio de Janeiro, and you've got Cancun. You know, I'm wondering, why don't we host one in Lagos, Nigeria, or Kabul, Afghanistan, or maybe uh, Jakarta, Indonesia? Uh, there's plenty of big cities where you could have something like this. Why does it always have to be at a beautiful resort destination? Uh, and the answer is, one, they need enough space to land all their private jets. I mean, there's hundreds of them. Uh, two, these people really like to party at taxpayer expense. So when you go out in the town, you'll see just unbelievable uh, spending of public money. You see all these fancy cars everywhere. Uh, so it really is like a traveling party. They call it the Conference of the Parties. <laughs> I think there's a wow. kind of a, a bizarre irony to it. Now, you you uh, were seeking to uh, talk with John Kerry. Uh, what kind of questions were you wanting to ask? You said we're not too cooperative in an interview, but wh- what are you trying to pull from him? Yeah, they, uh, they, they will not grant us an interview. We actually sent them an email earlier, but I happened to run into John Kerry. Uh, there was almost nobody else around. We're here very, very late. It is, I think, like 1 o'clock in the morning here in Sharm el-Shaker. Oh, 10.30, sorry, it's 10.30 p.m. here in uh, Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. So most people have gone home or they're out partying and stuff. But uh, John Kerry was walking around with a face mask on and uh, ran into him out in uh, in an open courtyard area. And I said, um, you know, hey, Mr. Kerry, nice to see you. Um, uh, what do you think about Donald Trump uh, announcing that he was running for re-election? Of course, he's been uh, very clear on his view that he believes climate change is a hoax, and he withdrew from the Paris Agreement. Does this affect uh, the U.S. position on negotiations at all? And uh, he kind of mumbled something under his mask. It was difficult to hear him. Uh, but uh, eventually one of his handlers, he had a, a whole group of, uh, I guess, security and, and maybe staffers surrounding him. They said, uh, we're just focused on what we're doing here. And uh, so then I asked him uh, another question. Um, uh, are you going to be willing to do what all these governments are asking for, uh, hand over large amounts of taxpayer money for this uh, climate reparations for the loss and damage program? And uh, he again mumbled something that was hard to hear, and uh, his staffer then ended up telling me that he said, we're just focusing and learning what's going on, and we'll get back to you. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. Alex Newman is with us right now, uh, live from Egypt, as he's attending COP27, the Climate Change Conference, and a firsthand report of the issues going on. We'll be back in just one minute. You're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America. Do you take time daily to study the Word of God? Do you go through the Bible systematically and read with comprehension? Do you desire to learn more than what you have in the past? VCY America is offering a package set of four books by Ron Rhodes from Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries. These Bible study books provide a systematic approach to help you gain better understanding of the Bible. Included in this set is 90 Days Through the New Testament in Chronological Order, providing overviews, powerful insights, and personal application. 40 Days Through Genesis, discover the story that started it all. 
40 Days Through Daniel, Revealing God's Plan for the Future, and 40 Days Through Revelation, Uncovering the Mystery of the End Times. These four books are available as our way of saying thank you for your donation of $49 or more by calling VCY America at 1-800-729-9829. Don't let the lack of a Bible study plan keep you from daily devotions. Call 1-800-729-9829. You're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America. It is live 2.30 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday, 10.30 uh, time in Egypt. That's where Alex Newman is right now attending COP27, the Climate Change Conference that is uh, underway there. And uh, Alex, I understand we were talking about the luxurious uh, place in which they are. And not only are they uh, in a luxurious place, but they're eating gourmet meats and meals at this climate summit while they're telling the rest of the world, eat bugs, save the environment. That's precisely what's happening, and that's the same thing that happens at every one of these conferences, Jim. That's one of, in my opinion, the most glaring examples of hypocrisy that I've ever seen so open from governments, is that they, they all fly here uh, on you know airplanes. Uh, many of them fly here in private jets. There are literally hundreds of private, private jets that have flown in bringing these self-styled climate dignitaries and celebrities and things. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of them. I mean, they, just one of these planes probably produces more uh, CO2 than a small you know African city. Uh, in a year. And uh, they come in here and then they lecture us about driving cars and they tell us we need to ride our bicycle. They tell us we can't have steak. They tell us we can't eat meat anymore, that we need to shift over to quite literally eating bugs and, and vegan diets and things like this while they're feasting on delicious gourmet meals. They've got caviar. Uh, and, and, and I mean, it's, it's absolutely everywhere. You are completely surrounded by the hypocrisy, Jim. You walk into any one of these enormous buildings that they've put up in the desert to, to deal with this. And they are, there's a whole rows of industrial-sized air conditioners pumping cool air. Obviously, they're fueled <laughs> by uh, fossil fuels, right? Pumping cool air into here to keep these delegates cool and comfortable. And yet, at the same time, they're telling people in poor countries, they're telling Africans and Latin Americans and even Americans, hey, you can't have uh, air conditioning. You can't keep your house so cold. You can't warm your house up so warm in the winter. Um, but, but, of course, they're saving the world here, and so they need to be in luxury. Alex, haven't they heard of Zoom? <laughs> right? You would think that uh, eventually, with all this supposed concern about CO2, they'd get the message that, uh, hey, we could do online meetings, but nope, nope, nope. Wow. Uh, let's tie a couple other issues into this. One of this is reparations. And, and uh, I mean, the, 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 the push is being placed upon the U.S. and on other industrial, industrialized nations that we need to be paying reparations to the world as a result of our abuse of putting so much CO2 into the, into the atmosphere. Uh, a comment on this reparation aspect that has been uh, proliferating through this conference as well. Yeah, that is the main theme of this conference. That's the main issue that's being discussed because, you know, every year they, they come up with some key issue that they need to negotiate about, and then every every year they do this uh, wrestling match where they pretend like they're negotiating really hard and the poor, they call them countries, but of course we're not dealing with countries, we're dealing with governments and in many cases kleptocrats and dictators, but they say countries, the poor countries are demanding that the rich countries pay their fair share uh, for, for loss and damage because the rich countries are the ones who cause the climate change. Uh, and then the rich countries make a big show of resisting these outrageous demands. And so then they meet in the middle and they say, well, instead of taking two trillion from the dying American middle class, instead of taking two trillion from the dying middle classes of the Western world, we'll be nice and we'll, we'll just compromise and we'll only spend one trillion. Uh, and so that's what's happening here. And to be clear, it's all based on outrageous pseudoscience. Um, I mean, the, the whole premise of this thing is, of course, the idea that CO2 is a toxic pollution that's responsible for all the warming or the tornadoes or the, the hurricanes and things. Um, I think it's demonstrably false. Uh, we can prove that the people who uh, are running this thing, the, the leaders behind the scenes, do not believe this, and we can talk about that later. But uh, that's the premise underlying this. And, uh, you know, it's a very nice mechanism for everybody involved. The Western governments, it's no skin off their back. They're just spending their taxpayer money. They spend taxpayer money on all kinds of stuff. It's not like they're going to pay for it personally. Uh, and then the third-world kleptocrats, that's how they keep bringing them to the table. Hey, if you show up, if you play along with this farce, you will get uh, a nice big fat check for your government to spend however you want. You can buy more limousines. You can stash some of it in your Swiss bank account. You can, um, you know, just whatever silly thing you can think of to waste it on. 
So this is really what makes it all possible, right? Money makes this whole thing happen. And that's why during the four years of the Trump administration, um, I mean, these things, it, it was like uh, everybody was just frowning and angry and screaming about how evil the United States was. It was because Donald Trump stopped the flow of money yep. and stopped the U.S. participation in this. Now that Biden's back at the table, uh, it's kind of back to business as usual. And uh, we'll see how much John Kerry and Joe Biden end up offering up of our money. We'll see whether Congress approves it. But uh, but that's, that's the key issue here is how much are they going to loot from Western taxpayers to hand out to their cronies that agree to keep their populations uh, basically living in poverty. And I see that's one of the financial goals. I mean, on their website, progress on delivery of the annual U.S. dollar, $100 billion, will build more trust between developed and developing countries, showing that actual commitments are being fulfilled. So if we really want to show that we are committed to this, we must follow it up with our dollars, and and that's what they're promoting there. Alex, you said that they don't believe uh, really in what they're saying there. Uh, what, What made you say that? Why don't they really believe in the words that they're saying. Yeah, I, I think you can actually prove this very simply, Jim, and, and I wish more people were talking about this. I, I think it's one of the key takeaways of this entire farce. Um, the, the premise here is that CO2 is bad, that CO2 is pollution, that CO2 needs to be limited, and all the rest of it. Um, so, okay, let, let's play along with that premise. Let's say CO2 is actually bad. If CO2 is actually bad, what is the worst possible thing that you could do in the world? It would be to shut down production of the goods and services that people need in countries like the United States where CO2 emissions are dropping naturally because we use nuclear power, because we use uh, natural gas rather than uh, coal. I mean, this is just happening through market mechanisms. The worst thing you could do is shut down the, the power plants, the factories, the jobs, the manufacturing in countries like the United States, in countries like Germany, and then ship that over to communist China where they are building hundreds of coal-fired power plants as we speak. Uh, Communist China already emits more CO2 than the entire Western world combined. And uh, every unit of economic output in China produces drastically more CO2 emissions than that same unit of economic output would in the United States or in Switzerland or in Germany or in France. So if you truly believe that CO2 is bad, what you'd want to do is have less production in China and more production in the United States, right? Because, again, CO2 is bad. We don't want it in the atmosphere. But what is happening here, and this became very clear to me at the Paris conference. I was there with some of my colleagues, and Obama promised he was going to slash American CO2 emissions by 28% by the year 2025. Uh, And the communist Chinese openly declared that they had no intention of cutting CO2 emissions at all until at least the year 2030. So in other words, they were going to keep increasing their CO2 emissions. Americans, and Obama said this very clearly, he said, under my climate and energy and environmental plans, energy prices will necessarily skyrocket. What happens when energy prices skyrocket? That factory that you were operating in Wisconsin, that factory that you were operating in Indiana, you can't compete in international markets anymore because you can build that in China with much lower electricity costs, slave labor. So what do you do? You move your factory to China. Massively more CO2 emissions are then in the atmosphere. So, um, again, I, I think as far as I'm concerned, that is proof positive that the ringleaders of this whole thing do not believe this themselves, because if they did, they wouldn't want the additional CO2 that's going to be in the atmosphere as a result of the very policies that they are concocting here. Yeah, and, and China China's just been given a free pass all throughout this, and the world's largest polluter, but they're the ones given the free pass. That's right. And, and you know what's especially interesting, too? China actually has genuine pollution, right? I don't regard CO2 as pollution for a moment. CO2 is plant food. We exhale two pounds of CO2 every single day if you're an average person. Um, In fact, I was talking to Trump's climate advisor, Dr. William Happer, and uh, he said that plants are designed to live in an atmosphere with four to five times as much CO2 as we have right now. Uh, If you go back to uh, in, in the historical past, CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere were a 1,000 parts per million. Today, they're around 400. So I don't believe that CO2 is bad. But you're right. The Chinese are putting more CO2 into the atmosphere than anybody else, and they're also putting real pollution into the atmosphere. I mean, there are many days in Beijing you cannot go outside of your house because the air is so toxic. So we're here blabbering about CO2 emissions while actual pollution is going completely unaddressed because uh, it doesn't advance this agenda of global control and global wealth redistribution. Alex, we have just uh, crossed uh, our eighth billionth person being born on the planet. 
Uh, let's comment on this aspect of depopulation, because depopulation very much a goal of this conference as well. Uh, yes, it is, Jim. And depopulation has been one of the underlying goals all along. And uh, there are times when it's so open that they actually say these things in public. Um, I went to the UN uh, COP, I think it was the COP 15 or maybe it was the COP 16 in Copenhagen. That was in uh, 2009, I believe. And the Communist Chinese had a side event where they were bragging about their one-child policy and how helpful that had been for reducing CO2 emissions. I mean, they were li- they literally had documents and, and things up on the boards and, and plaster boards where they were showing that as a result of their one-child policy, hundreds of millions less people existed. Uh, and by the way, this one-child policy was enforced with absolute barbarism. I mean, they would strap women down to the table, eight months pregnant, screaming and kicking, and murder their babies uh, to enforce this one-child policy. And here you have these senior communist Chinese officials bragging about how environmentally friendly it was that they were slaughtering huge numbers of unborn babies and forcing women to be sterilized to enforce their one-child policy. This is barbarism on a scale that's almost unimaginable. Uh, And the the most recent climate conference I went to, it was in uh, Madrid, Everybody was talking about population control. We got these guys on camera. I would go up and talk to them with a video camera, and they would openly say, yes, we need drastic population control. We need to radically limit the number of children that women are having, especially Western women, because their children produce more CO2. Uh, So very, very open. And, I mean, even senior officials, Barack Obama's science czar, John Holdren, a notorious individual, he published a book in 1977 called Ecoscience, and I encourage people to go get this book themselves at their local library. He actually openly calls for adding sterilizing agents to the public water supply so that women can't have children anymore unless the government gives them an antidote. He actually claims that forced abortions would be constitutional under our system of government to deal with the population crisis. So this stuff is not secret. It's just you won't read about it on your front page of your newspaper, because if Americans understood, again, what was happening here, it would all come to a screeching halt. Friends, you're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America. Alex Newman, our guest here today. And uh, we're uh, talking about the uh, COP27, the Climate Change Conference. And, Alex, uh, a couple more issues here. And uh, I know time is short, but uh, we've got to tie this into the the matter of COVID and the vaccine rollout, because John Kerry has been talking about that as well. You know, the the strategy that we take toward climate change, uh, we need to model, uh, you know, as we did uh, use the COVID vaccine rollout, uh, as as a model for what we would do with climate change. I mean, there are those really calling for lockdowns and severe restrictions on humankind. Uh, there is a direct connection between these two issues. Yes, there absolutely is. And they've been pretty open about this as well. Uh, in fact, I've got several people on camera just today publicly saying we need to use our COVID policies as the model for our climate policies. Uh, j- just uh, maybe a couple hours ago, I was interviewing uh, the mayor of Des Moines, Iowa, um, you know, I was a pretty conservative state. Uh, he also is not just the mayor of Des Moines. He also happens to be the president of ICLEI, one of the most influential organizations you've never heard of. They've got thousands of uh, member governments around the world, uh, local governments, city governments, state governments. Uh, and he told me on camera that we need to use the COVID stuff as a model. He said, this is science. We can't debate this. We can't have discussions about these things. We can't be divided about these. Things. We just have to follow the science. Right? And if the science says you need to give up all your money and your freedom to save us from global warming or to save yourself from a COVID or from whatever whatever new crisis du jour they can concoct, then, hey, this is not for debate. The science says, and therefore you must shut up and you must submit. Uh, and they've talked about using lockdowns as a mechanism for controlling climate change. Um, and, and they were doing this during COVID. It's truly extraordinary, Jim. Friends, we don't have time for speeches. Maybe a quick question. So formulate a question and just a single sentence. We'll throw it by Alex. Our number to crosstalk, 800-733-9829. 800-733-9829. Back in a minute, you're listening to Crosstalk. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. Well, the 2022 midterms are now over. What happened? Well, the red wave never happened. Is that because of voter fraud? It seems pretty clear there was voter fraud involved. But what's most disturbing to me, in addition to that, is the number of propositions that passed that are pro-abortion, that are 
for abortion on demand at extreme late terms. And then the laws related to undermining parental authority when it comes to minors having abortions without their parents' knowledge or permission. And then the propositions passing that deal with transgenderism and transitioning of children. Are these really passing? Is this the moral decay that America has come to? If so, fraud set aside. America is receiving the leaders they deserve and God's judgment. I'm Brandon House. Friends, time is short. If you've got a very quick question, uh, don't have time for a speech, but just time for a quick question to give Alex Newman. He is in Egypt right now attending COP27. Uh, This is a climate change conference. And uh, folks, this is uh, certainly a life-changing conference. They plan to change the lives of everybody on the planet. And uh, when you couple that with what's going on over in Indonesia right now with Klaus Schwab as well, it's pretty alarming. Uh, We've got Mark and Monroe. You're on the air, Mark. Yeah, actually, uh, I have a comment, and that is uh, anytime anyone opposes the left's agenda ends up being labeled a major threat to to our democracy, when in fact I think uh, the appropriate uh, phrase should be it's it's a threat to their hypocrisy, so that's my comment. Thank you for that. Alex is exactly right with that. Yes, he is, and the label late lynching has really gotten out of control. Uh, I mean, the the weaponization of language, they're now calling people who disagree with them fascists and homophobes and racists and uh, every nasty name you can think of. Um, and, And this is not an accident. This is very strategic. This is being very carefully planned. They are demonizing, in in an extreme sense, everybody who opposes this agenda. They are silencing them. They are trying to paint a horrific picture of dissidents in the public mind, uh, and they're doing it for very, very sinister purposes. It, it will, it will, and it always does pave the way for a dramatic crackdown on dissent and on dissenters. And uh, we've seen this countless times throughout human history. We're watching it happen again right now. Merle in Tennessee, you're on the air. Yeah, Jim, a, a quick comment and a quick question. The comment is, I believe we are well beyond the stage being set, and I think we are witnessing things in real time. Mm. Also, I wanted to ask uh, Alex, if over at that uh, G, uh, G20, that they indeed did talk about the global digital health certificate to track the vaccinated. Alex is not attending that right now, but he's asking, uh, Alex has heard about a digital certificate, uh, but that would be another conference, the one you're not at right now. Yeah, but I've been talking about these digital health certificates for a long time. This is very much on the global agenda, the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, the Biden administration. Uh, Multiple states are now already running pilot programs for digital IDs, which will be connected with your health information, your education information. It will all be permanently on the blockchain. Uh, We are witnessing, as we speak, the, the erection of a prison planet around the people of this earth, and it is moving very fast and it's accelerating. Thank you for the call. Charlie in Dodgeville, you're on the air. Yes, Paul, interesting show. Just a quick comment. If China is taking all of the resources, the coal, for instance, they'll be into heavy manufacturing, which would be outlawed in this country because of emissions. If we were ever at war and we needed tanks or steel production, that's all gone. Yep. And our enemies will be the only ones capable of building. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the call. Yeah, shooting ourselves in the foot. And Alex, that's what we're we're doing. We're crumbling from within and, and enabling China at the same time. That's exactly right. And I'm glad the caller mentioned that the national security implications of deindustrializing the United States, which again, John Holder and Obama's science are specifically called for using that terminology. We need to deindustrialize the United States. The national security implications of that are hard to overstate. Uh, we already could not keep most of our Air Force jets in the sky without uh, parts and microchips and other components from communist China. If and when a war breaks out, uh, the U.S. military is toast. 
And the worst part of all this is it's being inflicted by our own government. There's no reason why this has to happen, and yet it's being engineered by some of the most powerful people on the planet, including many of the so-called leaders in Washington, D.C. Um, Alex, is there any uh, accident that this is going on at the same time with uh, you know Klaus Schwab addressing uh, the, the B-20 meeting in Indonesia Monday? Uh, he called for really a wholesale restructuring of the world's economic, political, social, and ecological uh, ecological systems. These two issues just dovetail right one into the other. Yes, they do. It, it, it's all related. I mean, all of this stuff, it, it seems to the casual observer who's just relying on the fake media or their government school or their local newspaper, uh, it seems that all of these things are unrelated. But all you have to do is look right beneath the surface. It's not that this stuff is hidden. It's not that the evidence is hard to find. It's just that it's not put right in front of your face. But if you look right beneath the surface, what you'll find is all of this is related. It's all being driven by the same tiny group of predatory elites, uh, and it's all leading us in the same direction. You no doubt heard the announcement coming from uh, uh, Jeff uh, Bezos, uh, the Amazon founder, talking about donating uh, the majority of his $124 billion fortune to fighting climate change as his company is laying off thousands of workers. Yeah, and and it's very much fraudulent. It's very much like Bill Gates when he pledged he was going to give away his fortune. George Soros gave away his fortune. They're not really giving away their fortune. They're stashing all of their billions of dollars that they looted from us into tax-exempt foundations where they will continue to earn massive profits on their investments. Right? Bill Gates has made unfathomable amounts of money on his uh, investments in pharmaceutical companies that are being held by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Right? So they're still making massive amounts of money. And then they have buildings, they have private jets, they have yachts that are owned in the names of these foundations. Then they weaponize that money to buy media coverage that's favorable to their agenda. Jeff Bezos has just uh, agreed to do the same thing that all these other predatory billionaires have done, and that is stash all their wealth in a tax-exempt foundation so that they can continue to use it against us without even having to pay taxes on it. So when you hear these billionaires say, we need uh, people to pay more taxes, I should pay more taxes, they're not going to pay more taxes. Okay, Their money, their income, their wealth, it's all uh, structured in such a way that they're not going to be paying that. It's the dying American middle class that's going to foot the bills for this. And the worst, the most insulting part of it all, Jim, is that they masquerade as philanthropists while they're spitting in our faces. We're going to see if we can squeeze one more call in. Patrick in uh, from Winchester, Ohio, you're on the air. Thank you. Do you think that Donald Trump or any other single candidate for president could put a stop to this? Thank you for the call. Alex? Good call. And the short answer is no, I don't think so. I think only God can put a stop to this. In fact, I know God will put a stop to this. But in the meantime, I don't think there's any individual who can. I think we have a duty and an obligation to speak out against evil. We have a duty to do the things that God has called us to do. We have a duty to make disciples of all nations and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey. But, uh, you know, whether Trump or DeSantis or, or any other politician, you know, the Bible says don't put your trust in princes. Mm-hmm. I think we really need to take that to heart these days. Don't look for a political messiah. There will not be a political messiah until the King of Kings returns to take his rightful place on the throne. Alex Newman, live from Egypt, COP27, the Climate Change Conference. Alex, thanks for staying up and uh, informing our listeners what's happening there firsthand. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. God bless you. Bye-bye now. Alex Newman uh, here with us uh, today on the broadcast and uh, critical times in which we live, friends, continue to be praying for this conference, uh, the forum that's happening in Indonesia, and of course, what's going on in D.C. Thanks for listening to Crosstalk. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from BCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Take Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208. Or download by RSS or podcast from crosstalkamerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.